Welcome to the What Is Life Dude podcast. We're your hosts, Eric and Sarah. I'm a freelance musician. And I'm a vegan chef and food blogger. This is where we share our thoughts about building a healthy relationship, working as creatives on our own terms, and living with intention and authenticity. We don't have it all figured out yet, but every conversation gets us a little closer to answering the question, what is life, dude? Hello and welcome back to the What Is Life Dude podcast, everybody. We are your hosts, Eric and Sarah. Welcome back. Thank really, you for joining us. I really took over the entire intro that time. Well, I was thinking about how last time you said you you always you get like the short end of the stick with our intro because I have something planned and you don't have yeah. anything planned every time we start. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to do more, mm-hmm. and then I kept going because I was like, "This is going to make it even more uncomfortable." So hi, how are you? I'm good. A little stressed. A little stressed. Um, yeah, our room, maybe it looks the same from the camera angle on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's in shambles. Yeah. Where all of our stuff is getting picked up in two days. Um, so we don't have much left. All the stuff you can see in the shot is getting packed into my car at the last minute. So it still exists here for now, but we almost, we were debating not filming this episode because we're just like, uh, we don't have our table. Sarah doesn't have her chair anymore. (laughs) It's just like, it's just a little strange today, but here we are. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about, this is a highly requested topic actually, and it's just felt like such a big topic that I feel like we have kind of put it off because we have this responsibility to, I don't know, treat it really thoroughly and say the right things and be helpful. But I feel like this is something that is very top of mind for us right now. We are in the thick of it ourselves. So we're going to talk about navigating relationships where well one or both partners i guess has depression or some sort of mental illness Hmm. yeah so obviously it's been a huge part of our relationship (laughs) um yeah so we're just going to kind of explore it a little and see what comes up Mm -hmm. do you want to do a positivity box first sure you go first i have a few well actually i have two one relates to moving moving's been a lot easier this time around um we had more time with the moving pod in our driveway so mm-hmm. we can slowly move stuff in. Which I'm was like, totally accidental. If you listen to our previous episode, we opened it by saying we had had some scheduling issues. So instead of having just three days, which was our original plan, we had to delay the pickup of our pod by uh, almost a week. Yeah, so we so, had eight days instead. Yeah, which really worked out because, you know. We can slowly move stuff instead of trying to fit it all in um within a three-day window which was hard last time right um but we also did a better job and by we i mean sarah did a better job (laughs) putting more things in boxes Mm -hmm. this time which like sounds silly because you're like yeah when you move you put everything in boxes but last time we kind of ended up with like just a bunch of loose stuff yeah kind of like hastily thrown in the pod just floating around yeah not great but everything so everything's more rectangular this time and we have a lot more room to work with yeah um, which is really nice it's all stackable my other positivity box is uh spring training baseball games started uh, a few days ago and i love baseball mm-hmm. so i was able to watch some mets it's like fake baseball because the games don't count but mm-hmm. i was really excited to watch baseball again it's right. my it's the only sport i like so yeah those are mine 
I do watch some baseball too. It is the only sport that I watch and somewhat understand. I, I think I actually understand it pretty well now after dating you, you for so long. And yeah. Eric is like actually obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. It's not just a casual spectator. It's not a phase, spectator. <laughs> So um, actually this ties into our topic, but I really do like when Eric is has his games to watch because it helps me. Sometimes I can kind of coast off of Eric's energy I've talked a lot about how I'm like a very slow moving person. My energy is very inconsistent. So sometimes just being in the room with Eric when he's really pumped up about something allows me to kind of get in my zone as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. And um, what's my positivity box? It's like a hybrid positivity slash negativity box. But we have watched a couple of documentaries about musicians this past week. Actually, over the past few months, we watched a couple we yeah, watched we, amy yeah. last month i believe which is about amy winehouse and then we watched a montage of heck which is kind of new right uh it's about, it's 2015 okay not really then i thought it was newer too you know i it, also had that notion yeah but, no. i had never heard of it but i just kind of i i don't know i was feeling kind of bummed out the other day and i was like oh let's um light ourselves up here by learning about some musicians because i feel like last year during quarantine we watched um what miss americana is that what it's called Mm -hmm. taylor swift right and that one i mean there were like dark spots of it because she's had dark spots in her life but Mm -hmm. i feel like it made me feel better at the end because she grew a lot as a person and it made me respect her a lot more and it motivated me yeah overall her story thus far is like a story of like power and strength and mm-hmm. being lifted up, you know, and yeah. um, not the same for Kurt, Kurt Cobain. <laughs> right. Right. Like the end of his story was he killed himself and then the movie ended. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like and Taylor Swift's story at the end of Miss Americano was like, I'm, in, I'm empowered, mm-hmm. which is great. And so I feel it leaves like a much more positive energy in you when you, when you're done. Yeah. And I mean, her story is still being written. I feel like she keeps developing, more and more into herself, you know, mm-hmm. and developing or stepping more into her power, which is interesting and very different. But I don't know. I, I really like watching either live performances by musicians or interviews. I really like. Mm-hmm. We've been watching a lot of Howard Stern interviews with yeah. musicians yeah. and and live performances on there, and it just puts me in that mindset because I myself am trying to become a more prolific musician. But we watched a montage of Heck, and then we watched... Neither of us have been fans or really knew much at all about Lil Peep, but he has a new documentary out on Netflix. It's so funny to even say his name. Yeah. Because, like, I just... I don't listen to any <laughs> artists that are yeah. Lil or Young. Yeah. So just to be... Just to say the name Lil Peep. Yeah. Though we did learn that the reason he calls himself Lil, Lil Peep mm-hmm. is because his mom's nickname for him as a child was Peep. Yeah. So that kind of... Very wholesome. That made the name less stupid Mm -hmm. to me. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cute. Right. I I, I came into watching it knowing literally nothing about him other than that he had OD'd. I'm not a fan of his music. But I don't know. It was really... It was nice because we were listening to everyone talk about him and Mm -hmm. we were hearing his music in the documentary for the first time. Yeah. And neither Sarah or I could understand why people really liked his music Mm -hmm. so it was interesting because we still totally appreciated that his music was loved and he was respected even though us even though we personally were like we don't 
we don't vibe with this at all. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to kind of be able to put that aside and be like, well, other people vibed with it and he was really popular and people loved him and he seemed like a nice guy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. So why I said this is like a positivity slash negativity box for me is that it's like very complex. Mm-hmm. It's that it's it's when you deal with any sort of mental illness and I have for my entire life, um, it's like both comforting and also terrifying to see other people go who have who struggle with similar things, even though they're further like quote unquote further along in their lives than you, or they're they've reached more success, financial success, more fame, etc. So it's like it's interesting to know that I don't know. It just puts things into perspective. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to really explain. Yeah. Because it's positive because it motivates you a little, but it's negative because mm -hmm. these people's stories are very sad. Yeah, I mean, the thing that was in common between Amy and Kurt and Lil Peep or Gus is that it was so clear that not doing music was just not an option for any of them. Yeah, That they were literally called into it and they brought all their demons there. And um, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move into our topic a little on that? Sure. Topic on that I note. feel like I feel like this is all very rela- interrelated mm-hmm. because I feel like my relationship with art is so intertwined with my relationship with my mental illness and I feel like me thinking about how much I need to prioritize music in my life and not necessarily spend all my time trying to grow my blog mm-hmm. is what is kind of stirring up like I'm going through this another like rock bottom just the stress of the move and uh, work and, you know, living with family yeah. is another thing that complicates things. Which is coming to a close in a mere few days, Mm-hmm. which is crazy. So all of my depressive, anxious thoughts have been flaring up. Yeah. So that's why we have been, have felt drawn to tackle this topic mm-hmm. in part today. Yeah. So. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with, ooh, I don't even... I really shouldn't have started that sentence because I didn't have an ending <laughs> an, for it. An option? Yeah. Okay, well, if you guys are new to the podcast and don't know our story very well, we each of us earlier at the start of this year, we did introductory uh, episodes. So there's a mm-hmm. Meet Sarah episode and a Meet Eric episode. So if you're not familiar with kind of my background with depression and social anxiety and all of that, you can visit that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric is, I mean, how would you describe your relationship with mental health? He's hes normal, is what I would say. 100% mentally healthy. No, that's There's not true. There's nothing wrong with him at all. Nothing. I am perfect. <laughs> not a narcissist. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never been, I've never been one to categorize myself as depressed. Mm-hmm. I think now that we've been in a relationship for long enough, I understand what depression can look like more. Mm-hmm. And I know now that there are times where I've been depressed in some form. Um, but of course, it looks different for everyone. And there are different, you know, there are different levels of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also had anxiety at some at different points throughout my entire life mm-hmm. from when I was a young kid. And I had a lot of stomach aches to when, you know, since I've been an adult and I feel anxiety in certain situations. So both depression and anxiety have been parts of my life to some degree personally 
but nothing too severe. Mm -hmm. That's how I'd categorize myself. Right. I definitely see Eric struggling mostly with like situational anxiety. Yeah. You usually don't have like this existential cloud hovering over you, but you will get anxious or like irritable in certain situations. I have this existential cloud that (laughs) circles. Yeah. It's like in orbit, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, it used to happen a lot in college, but I'd get I'd have these existential thoughts and then I'd get like this kind of tunnel vision, like obsessing on this thought mm-hmm. that makes me extremely anxious. Right. Um, but what I talked about in my Meet Eric episode was that my anxiety mostly stems from situations where I'm not in control or feel like I'm not in control. Um, so like if I'm stuck in traffic is my example that's like a prime example of when I get anxious because I feel like I can't escape and there's no way out and I have no control over the situation. I'm literally just stuck in a tiny box of my car, not being able to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And situations like that make me anxious. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Right. I end all my little, my ramblings (laughs) with, so yeah. So yeah. Maybe as the podcast goes on, Mm -hmm. I'll, that'll fade into the abyss. Right. So I guess, I guess to provide a little bit of context, um, I feel like in past relationships where I hadn't sorted, I hadn't gone to as much therapy yet or sorted through a lot of my own like abandonment issues, I kind of wanted the other person to be mentally ill too because I thought that I, I felt so kind of alienated in my past relationships that I felt that it was because they didn't understand kind of where I was coming from. So I always thought like, oh, if, if this relationship ends, I'll go find someone else who has dealt with depression or anxiety. And now I'm understanding that there's other ways to kind of like foster understanding and communication without the other person literally meeting you where you are and being that sad. Not that those relationships can't work you know where you both have gone through some really dark emotional turmoil you know but I think for me it has been really helpful to finally have a stable relationship where I can talk about everything openly and Eric can kind of understand it intellectually even if he doesn't he doesn't have the lived experience of feeling like things are hopeless or uh, dealing with suicidal thoughts or anything Mm -hmm. you know yeah so I think the the more I've come to understand myself, which is a process, I think a lot of it happens just by getting older um, and then also learning how to verbalize things to other people, whether it's partners or friends, other people in your support network uh, or a therapist. The more you can learn to understand yourself and unpack things for yourself, I think the less you kind of crave another person like meeting you right there in that darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something when I go back to therapy, which I plan to at some point, I want to bring in a more specific like goal mm-hmm. because I kind of last time I went, went in with like a very vague, I want to find out all the things wrong with me and why, why they're wrong with me. Right. You know, <laughs> and I want to bring in more specifics next time to iron that out. But it's mm-hmm. been an interesting exper- experience for me especially I have one of my sisters had suffers from anxiety and depression and I feel like she's very misunderstood within our family Mm -hmm. because no one else experiences that in my family. I mean, everyone experiences like sadness and maybe depression to a degree and anxiety to a degree, Mm -hmm. 
but to have well to not have an extreme version of it ever in your life it kind of, it causes a lot of misunderstanding because that's exactly what it is mm-hmm. like it's hard to understand what another person's going through if you haven't experienced it all at all so it's helped me a lot with uh how i approach and talk to and understand this one sister of mine mm-hmm. because of my relationship with you and i've learned a lot about how to exist when you're in a more depressive state and how to react to things yeah man it would do the rest of my family a whole lot of good <laughs> if they could uh also have that experience but mm. you know it's not how it goes yeah i think that is kind of one of the gifts of dealing with mental illness for an extended period of time is that you really do develop a deep deep sense of empathy for other people Mm. whereas i'm not sure that that comes naturally to people who are like neurotypical i guess would Mm -hmm. be the term like people who haven't dealt with that um i think like i'm half filipino i feel like i'm not sure if it's just like filipino culture or more broadly like asian culture i feel like there's a lot of like stoicism there like a lot of um we really stress the importance of just seeing that you had it better than previous generations and that previous generations sacrificed a lot to get you um, the freedom and the rights and the opportunities that you have today. And so I feel that there's not a lot of acknowledgement of mental health issues. Like I think a lot of our culture even denies that it's a thing like if they regard it kind of like as a privilege that white people have like oh you have um enough of your basic needs met that now you can have these existential thoughts about like are you happy with your job are you happy in your relationship right because i feel like like a lot of immigrant um culture is based just around valuing that stability like just be grateful for what you have stay in your relationships like just like stay in like preserve what you have mm-hmm. whatever it is whatever it makes you feel stay there why do you think it's so much more prevalent mm-hmm. like i mean you've ex- you've experienced it with your asian immigrant family mm-hmm. but my family is one generation further removed from being immigrants mm-hmm. right your grandparents immigrated here and my great grandparents immigrated here from eastern europe but we've our family has never had that attitude to that degree right is it because they're white and it's just easier to be a white person in america i mean i know it wasn't always right because immigrants from europe um like italians and irish people right they were persecuted Mm -hmm. i'm not persecuted but um what what am i even they had a hard time for who they were yeah 100 years ago right Mm -hmm. so i wonder if it's just because at some point any white person became like safe right Right? yeah i mean it's hard to say and it's 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 hard to know uh, where the like greater degree of empathy and um, communication opens right because it's not just that your family is willing to acknowledge that mental illness is a thing but you also communicate a lot more. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's been actually really interesting. M- me coming from a family where we were like close and that we did things together a lot. But there was never that level of emotional communication. Mm-hmm. 
you know? And I feel like when you're growing up, it you don't know that your family is like different in any way because that's what you're exposed to especially me like having been kind of sheltered not having a lot of friends not spending a lot of time like with other kids parents you know I didn't really know what was normal was was a and I don't I hesitate to even use the word normal because I know everyone's so different but it's like I, I wasn't aware that there was kind of a wall between like me and my parents when it came to talking about emotions, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I didn't even know it was something that I was missing for so much of, a, of my life. And then um, meeting you and you're very close with your family and you're constantly communicating. Constantly. <laughs> and you're very like open, like with your dad, especially about things you're going through. And if you have any questions or like doubts, you'll always like run it by him and mm-hmm. you trust him. And like for me, I've always been very independent i've always been like i'll make a decision and i'll do it and then i'll inform people afterwards because i just i've never wanted to create the space to let other people's opinions into my mind you know because i haven't trusted that other people would give advice that was right for me you know so it's just been interesting being exposed to your family and it's been interesting for me to be exposed to yours, mm-hmm. especially living with them mm-hmm. and down the street from the rest of them, mm-hmm. you know? So like being able to firsthand experience just what your family's culture is like in contrast with mine. I mean, they're like exact opposites mm-hmm. and neither of them are perfect, right? Yeah. Like sometimes me and my family talk too much. and we all have strong opinions on everything Mm -hmm. so it's like if one person if one person in the family does something you hear the other six people's opinions and like it's the exact opposite with yours and it's like uh, like somewhere in the middle would be nice for both of us Mm -hmm. sorry family love you (laughs) (laughs) right um so where do we want to go with this i mean let's talk about how can you tell how much less comfortable i am with this setup than usual because it's just like yeah mildly different right like a different table it's just yeah i'm fine i'm adjusting do you want to talk about <laughs> our well, dynamic speaking of me adjusting do you want to talk about how i've adjusted my how i interact with you sure when you're what, what term do i even use like when your depression is at its worst when you're in a depressive phase you know because it ebbs and flows right you're not in a constant state of as depressed as possible yeah adap adap Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know what you mean yeah um so let's talk about what i've kind of like what i maybe used to do right my my dad has always asked me he's like so what do you like how do you handle it when sarah is really depressed i'm like i don't even know it kind of kind of just happens Something I've learned is that Sarah does not respond well to, like, pep talks. (laughs) Like, pep talks don't curb depression Mm -hmm. the way they curb when someone is just, like, down on themselves. Right. Right? Like, it's a vastly different experience, even though it could come off as the same thing from an outsider's perspective, right? So, I think that's an approach I maybe kind maybe kind of always took with you up until very recently when you kind of explicitly told me you were like this makes me feel worse (laughs) right you know because if someone if someone 
is just kind of feeling down on themselves you could be like oh you know like everything's going to turn out all right and you're going to do this and here's what it's going to look like and here's what it's going to feel like when you do it and everything's going to be great and they're like you know what that's true Mm -hmm. i'm better but when the person is actually depressed Mm -hmm. it i mean maybe for some people this does help them but you specifically it does not and you've told me that it uh like i said makes you feel worse and not better right why do you think that is so right i want to well i want to just talk about this concept of like resonance Mm. if something resonates with you it means like to use like very like hippie kind of lingo or new age lingo it means you are vibrating at the same kind of speed right i knew you were going to say something about vibes right it's like a tuning fork and if two things are the same note then they fall into place and it sounds good if something doesn't resonate with you it's gonna sound dissonant dissonant emotionally dissonant ugly right so humans we know lots of things but we can't access all of the things at the same time right so it's like I have a lot of evidence in my life that I am smart, right? Or that I'm creative, that I'm good at making things, that I can be really responsible, that I can be really loving and on top of my shit. I also have a lot of evidence that I have like really over the top emotions and sometimes I fail and I procrastinate a lot and sometimes I'm lazy. And it's almost as if these two, it's it's hard for the mind to inhabit all of this truth at the same time so what happens when i'm depressed and i think this is true for a lot of people it's almost like um you know like that the train tracks like switching to a different track and depending on your mood you're either going to be developing a lot of momentum in a negative direction or in a positive direction and you're just traversing through two totally different landscapes of memory even so it's like If you are in this place where all the evidence that you can access suggests that life is hard and you're a failure and nothing's ever going to amount to anything, and then someone tells you otherwise, it's not going to resonate and it's going to feel bad. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel like something's really wrong with you because this information that feels so obvious to someone else is just not available to you. You're like, I'm searching my memory. Honestly, I can only remember ever feeling like shit since I was a child. And that's true. I mean, the converse is also true, but it's not accessible to you. So I think the difference between like a pep talk that works and a pep talk that makes someone worse is the state they're in, right? So it's like sometimes I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll see a motivational quote And I'll like it and I'll bookmark it because wherever I am at that point, the information there is true to me. And then sometimes if it isn't true to me, if I'm low enough, um, it feels bad. And I'm like, well, easy for you to say because of all these reasons that don't apply to me. Right. Because I feel like depressed people, we really do feel like I feel at the core of depression is like just feeling misunderstood. It's like, I don't know. And that's why it feels so much worse for people to see things and tell you things, even if they're positive, that don't make sense to you, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
So, it yeah, I think that just makes people feel a little more alienated. And, and I think that's why this, what is more helpful is kind of like a ladder, like a stepping stool of emotions, where it's like the top is like bliss and ecstasy and the most excitement and the middle is like, just normal, just calm, neutral. And then there's like a little lower than that. It's like a little bit melancholy. And then below there's like, so dejected and sad. And it's like you reach for the next emotion up on the rung. You can't really go to an ecstatic state from Mm -hmm. utter despair, but you can always reach for the next thing. And sometimes even like, sometimes even feel, even feeling angry about something is a little more empowered than feeling hopeless. So I I feel like each person has like a different kind of ladder. And I think emotions are very colored by your culture as well. I think we've talked about before there was a study that different cultures have different preferred emotional states. Like Russian people like to be a little bit melancholy. It's comfortable for them. Western people really like to feel excited and like heat up about things. That's why we eat so much sugar. (laughs) Yes. It's like the same concept. Yeah. So everyone has like a different um, kind of set point where they'd prefer to be. But it's kind of like about getting to know yourself and understanding like, I don't have to be happy, but if I could just feel okay today, or if I could just feel calm, then you kind of know what situation to put yourself in to feel a little better. Yeah. So let's talk a little about um, what I do now. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's notable about you is that you you're into psychology and and you studied it in college because of your own psychology and wanted to understand it more right mm-hmm. so what this what this means is that you tend to figure you you tend to like move through all the emotions like on your own mm-hmm. right so like last night you were kind of having this i don't know how to describe it you were having a moment right mm-hmm. and you were talking about work and all all the other stressors in your life and you went from being really low and kind of just me letting you talk just allowing you to kind of work through it and bring new things up you kind of climbed that ladder back up to kind of feeling motivated mm-hmm. about how you can move past it right and i don't know how it looks for other people who have depression but i know for you specifically you you can talk through it just on your own and so now what I do is instead of trying to give you a pep talk or really be active in my uh, in my attempt to ease you, ease your pain, is to kind of just like lay back mm-hmm. and just let you bring up the next thing, right? As you move through, as you work through the feelings. So, right. you know, last night you would, you would, you would say something that was, that indicated you were feeling low. And I would respond to it kind of like a really quiet therapist. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, like I just let you talk. You know, I mean, obviously professional therapists, say they say a lot, right? Because they right. have some stuff to say. Sometimes. Yeah. Depending on your school of, of okay, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> but so I was, I just kind of like lay back and you would say something and I would discuss it with you and then it would be quiet again and mm-hmm. you'd be thinking and then you'd bring something else up. That's and, funny because I didn't, now I, I could see that I do that, mm-hmm. but I... Yeah. yeah. And every time you bring something up, you're one rung higher on the ladder. Then towards the end, like literally the last few 
they're like mini conversations, mm-hmm. right? Where we just kind of go back and forth a little and then there's silence and I just look at you mm-hmm. and you just look into the distance yeah. and you think of the next thing. And by the end, you were like, you know, like after a few minutes of silence, you were like, you know, this is actually a good thing because <laughs> this means that this, and that happens right. like every time we have these conversations. Yeah. So what I've learned to do is just kind of stop talking, right? let you make your way to the next rung of the ladder and throw it back at me. Mm-hmm. It's what we talked about on the podcast. It's like, yeah. I'm good at responding more than I am initiating a lot of the times, mm-hmm. whether it's something like the podcast topic or something like you trying to work through negativity in your life. Yeah. So that's kind of how we handle it now on a very specific, uh, specific level. Yeah. So like to talk again about like in my experience in past relationships before I had done a lot of my own work at understanding myself is like my perspective was like okay well you're not depressed so explain to me how you're not depressed Mm -hmm. and then I I had to realize that like people don't um they don't have a roadmap for things they haven't had to kind of build themselves if that makes sense like I'm trying to think of a good analogy but it's almost like some people are just born with like each of us is born with our own set of privileges that other people don't have we it's not really our place to describe to people or write out people write out a roadmap to people for things we haven't personally conquered or overcome right so it's like eric's not going to explain to people how to be an extrovert because it is (laughs) innate to him yeah he didn't have to fight to get there it's a funny example yeah right or like someone who was born into wealth generational wealth is not going to be like well i'll tell you how to be a self-made millionaire necessarily right first step be born yeah second step profit right so so i can't um necessarily leverage the things in my eric can't teach me how to be not depressed because he never had to go from being depressed and feeling hopeless to being normal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I, no, quote unquote normal? Yeah. Um, so you have to take the burden off of your partner. Basically. I think it's very easy when you are in a really dark place. If you're in a dark place and you're not necessarily attracting a relationship that is appropriate for you. I think a lot of us who have been really mentally ill, we have this sense like, I'm broken and in that sense like whatever kind of love I can get is the best I deserve and then we end up in relationships that aren't suited to us and then we're stuck there because we don't think anyone else is going to be there waiting for us if we leave same with like jobs uh, friendships like there's this like feeling of scarcity like I'm so broken I can't have better and so we stay in things that are really not serving us for a long time. Um, but where was I going with this? I unfortunately don't know. <laughs> right. So the point is like in my past relationship, I would feel very like codependent. And I'd be like, well, I, I, I don't understand how you can be happy if I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. I don't like explain to me why you're okay. Explain to me how you go to your nine to five job every day and you're not feeling this deep existential dread. And he's like, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I like my job. I'm happy with this. And then I would get really angry. And I would, I'd basically, 
I associated love and connection with being in the exact same mental space. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think there's like an element of that too, where I felt that I was so like beyond repair that if the other person was really, really happy, then they would like recognize how broken I was and they would leave. And then I'd be in that abandoned state again. So I think part of realizing you've made a lot of progress with your own mental health is when you don't feel triggered when your partner is succeeding or being happy or excited about things without you, you know? Which kind of leads us into another important aspect of our relationship and our relationship with mental health together. And that is, I would often really, again, a lot of these kind of improvements have uh, mainly occurred recently. Mm -hmm. And something that's changed is when Sarah would be feeling really down, I would be down there with her as kind of like in like kind of like in solidarity mm-hmm. right i'd be like well if you're gonna feel like shit i'm gonna feel like shit with you mm-hmm. and hopefully that'll make you feel better yeah and um it doesn't so we've i've kind of started just to go about my life and that helps you yeah feel more normal mm-hmm. right because if i'm if i'm like stooping to your emotional level at the time it's just bad for both of us yeah. but we've learned okay well i have this project i'm really excited about and i'm gonna go work on it and then i'm gonna be like oh will you listen to this and even if you're not feeling happy you'll still listen to it and kind of this kind of applies to a lot of aspects of our relationship you kind of like leech my energy <laughs> so if i'm really excited about something <laughs> it makes you feel a little better. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it makes you happy to see me working on something and getting paid for something that I'm stoked on. Even if the reason you're feeling so down is because you're working on something that you, you hate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why. So I I know a lot of people say like, don't go look for a relationship until you figured yourself out or you fall in love with yourself. I don't really agree with that because I think, um, a relationship is can be a really huge catalyst to understanding yourself like just to see yourself mirrored off of someone else or to get to a point where you feel enough trust that you can take the other person's best interest as your own and then that person's happiness and success is your happiness and success but it depends because when you're having a bad mental health experience Mm -hmm. you don't it doesn't um, manifest itself in a way where you're taking it out on me Right. Like that's not what yours looks like. Yeah. So I know for some people, they have to fix themselves first because yeah. it makes their relationships toxic. Right. Right. It does not make our relationship toxic. It mm-hmm. makes it difficult, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. We're not hurting each other over it. Right. So in our case, it's like we're helping each other get be fixed, mm-hmm. but that doesn't. That's not always the case. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I have to say, like going back to the previous topic, if you're in a relationship and you are the one who's dealing with mental illness. And you're getting really regularly triggered when your partner is happy or successful or like spends time with friends or like you definitely have to examine where that's coming from. Like you have to look at whether it's the right relationship or like what maybe insecurities or beliefs you have that are causing you to feel that way. Because I have to say like that was my situation in past relationships 
and it, it does make it really toxic. And the fact that I, like, it doesn't mean anything about you, right? If your partner is, it can do something that you can't, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Eric doesn't have all these weird existential thoughts about his career that make him literally unable to work right Mm -hmm. like eric is always productive for the most part and i don't make that about me i don't make it like let it reflect on me as a shortcoming yeah i mean i used to have those thoughts when i worked you know at like my quote-unquote normal day job Mm -hmm. but it never prevented me from working yeah but i mean it's got it's got to be harder to like let let it affect you to the point of not being able to work when you're working for someone else yeah right i mean you, you work for yourself so if it prevents you from working the only person involved is you uh, well you, you know what kind I mean? of yeah yeah like yeah you're making it harder for yourself and not for every like not for an entire group of people which kind of well, no, I don't know if that's true because okay. I do have like touch points on, on the yeah. ends of everything. But that's true. Yeah. But I mean, I, what what Eric's ability to stay like motivated and positive and productive, it, it to me, it feels very grounding and not like a threat to our relationship. But you have to come to that. The reason why I'm able to feel that way, though, is because we have together over the past few years, like, communicated so much. And I feel validated by him and by myself in all these different areas of my relationship, right? Like, I'm not... I have learned that my value in a relationship is not just what I contribute like monetarily or like how, right? It's like when we're trying to be other people, right? It's, or if you're trying to compare yourself to someone's ex, like, oh, this person used to be really bubbly and happy and um, probably got got along really well with his family or whatever. I have to be like that too. Yeah. You have to compare yourself to you. And this involves like doing a lot of work to find what you offer that you value it like really is this whole self-love path which is that really vague kind of confusing word when you're starting out with absolutely no self-love and quite often the exact opposite like a lot of Mm self-loathing um but like the only way for you to not feel triggered i think by positive aspects of your partner's life is to realize like everything you do offer and allow yourself to spend time doing those things, you know? Yeah, and I think the reason it took me so long in our relationship to kind of allow myself to be happy, even when you weren't, I mean, well, one, the first part of it is just guilt, right? Because when the person you love the most is suffering and you're not, you have this weird sense of guilt about mm-hmm. it. But the other thing is, the way I remember my first real relationship is when she was down and I was up, it, there was guilt coming from her about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, like, if she was struggling with something and I was at band practice and then I came home and I was like, oh, we had this great rehearsal, blah, blah, blah. Like, she would kind of be mad at me for it. 
Right. That's the way I remember it. Um, I don't know how much of it is like being kind of right. You know, like like I'm just conjuring it up, you know. But that's how I remember it going, and that's definitely why it took me so long to be able to say, "Okay, I'm going to go do this positive thing mm-hmm. over here, even though you're sad." Right. Yeah. yeah. And. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show how different each, like, relationship dynamic can be because, yeah, I do really enjoy, uh, enjoy is a weird word, but, like, I benefit a lot from, and we've developed a lot of trust because I am able to talk about these things with you, but also I do benefit from being alone with my thoughts and having time to process on my own. So it's nice when you give me the space and go do your own thing and go hang out with a friend or whatever. Or watch baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I benefit a lot from both things. And I think it kind of just depends on you guys determining like what that perfect um, like dynamic looks like for you. Yeah. And I'd be curious to hear from you guys listening what your experiences in relationships, um, you know, dealing with mental health have been Mm -hmm. whether you're the person who's dealing with it yourself or your partner struggles with mental health issues um i'd love for you guys for you guys to write in or dm us um and just kind of let us know like how it looks for you if you can relate if it's like totally different for you yeah i mean people have depression and anxiety and whatever other afflictions for so many reasons that uh, there's like an unlimited possibility to um what it looks like in other relationships Mm -hmm. so let us know right and i think another like option we haven't even discussed at all is just like distraction Mm -hmm. obviously chronically distracting yourself with like tv you're going for a walk or you know whatever there's all of these different things we can do to kind of temporarily pull ourselves out of this negative space and get to more of a neutral place like obviously doing that all the time is the only coping mechanism is not going to get you much progress in the long run if you're trying to find a way to feel better Mm -hmm. like overall but i think it definitely has its place like sometimes if something is like just way too intense to even approach like kind of intellectually then i mean the best thing to do is just kind of like figure out like almost like it, it can help when i was um hospitalized when i was in a psych ward uh almost a decade ago they actually had us create a list of activities that would help us kind of distract ourselves. Mm. So it's like, uh, I'm going to paint my nails when I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Or I'm gonna, um, Was Fraser on the list? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Draw a picture, watch TV, go on a walk, play sports. There's all sorts of things. And I think sometimes actually literally writing out that list and giving it to your partner so they can like try to... Um, help push you towards one of those things when things are feeling a little too charged can mm-hmm. be really helpful yeah yeah um i just want to throw this out there because it's an interesting like nugget of trivia about sarah and i <laughs> um when sarah was hospitalized it was the same month that i was in the hospital for chemo mm-hmm. so like the two most difficult like per like first hand experiences we've had overlapped exactly like we yeah. were in the hospital at the same exact time and you were only there for like a week right mm-hmm. so it's just it was it's some pretty once we figured that out we were like wait was it like november of 2011 that's yeah. when i was in the hospital too yeah very strange we're gonna have to do like um 
some sort of special 10-year anniversary episode slash oh celebration God. this year. That's this November, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. How does it make you feel? Old. <laughs> no, very grateful. Well, it's tough because mental illness is something that gets healed over time, right? And you're still healing it 10 years later. I mean, <laughs> you're much further along, right? But it's, it's so much different for me because mm-hmm. cancer just it went away. And it's been 10 years, right? It's just a very different experience mm-hmm. that happened to overlap. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Yeah, it is interesting because I think another thing, if you deal with like a chronic mental illness, I know a lot of people deal with situational sort of lows. Like if you lose, you go through a breakup or someone dies or mm. you go through a period of financial hardship. I think it's very common to get depressed but if you're someone who like just always depressed or like you had some sort of triggering experience at at some age and then it stayed with you for years and years and years like it does get hard sometimes to maintain that perspective that oh i used to be much worse off mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like yeah. it used to be much more challenging for me mm-hmm. and it's important to give yourself credit for um the progress you have made I think it's interesting. I'd be so curious to know how Eric and I would get along if we met, like, and I was who I used to be. Like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, me too. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm a much different person than I used to be, even a few years ago. But it's hard because I've done a lot of changing because of our relationship. Mm. So, you know, there's no way of telling how and who I would be and who I would be. Mm Mm-hmm. There's my weekly Fraser impersonation. <laughs> right. Is there anything on the list you want to touch on or anything that comes to mind now? I feel that we covered most of what we came here to talk about. Yeah. We we kind of talked about not dragging the episode on and on if we, you know, like if it didn't, if it kind of felt like it resolved itself, mm-hmm. we weren't going to be like, no, we have to make it longer. We have to make it longer. We're like, we're going to stop wherever it feels natural because... I don't know. It's the kind of conversation you don't want to like force. Mm-hmm. You don't want to force more out of it. Right. Because you might circle back around to yeah. negativity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm sure we will do another part of this and maybe like make, maybe even like make a video for YouTube where we kind of plan things out. But just to kind of recap, like in very concrete terms, I would say our biggest tips or things that have worked for us. Number one, the person who's not depressed or anxious doesn't have to meet you exactly in that low space. Mm. I think you definitely have, I mean, both people in a relationship, even if you're not mentally ill, like you always have a responsibility to do the best to understand someone so that you can make decisions together that are in both of your joint best interests. Like that's just a requirement for a healthy relationship period, Mm. but do what you can to understand the person but not try to feel depressed too. And also conversely, don't try to pep talk them when they're in a really low space because they're not going to be able to access things that maybe are true. Like there's some positive things that are true and it's it's okay to just let the person feel what they're feeling. You know? Yeah, sometimes it's too hard for them to yeah. understand the positive thing you're throwing at them because Mm -hmm. of the space they're currently in. Right. And then the second thing I think that we highlighted is just the importance of each having your own 
basically developing boundaries is what it comes down to mm-hmm. is that it's I, I consider it like almost an imperative to kind of anchor like if you have the ability to be that anchor in the relationship when someone else is going through something really difficult you should do that like because whatever is in your best interest is going to be in the other person's best interest too if you are really in a like a committed relationship yeah so don't feel like ashamed or guilty about pursuing the things that matter to you because that might actually help motivate the other person and show them that like it it might help them step into their own power i think like when i see you really excited about uh, work or even just like something that you're like one of your hobbies Mm -hmm. i think it definitely helps me remember like i can have that too right life can feel that way also yeah yeah it's just so funny because when i'm anxious Mm -hmm. i feel like my anxiety is so it's like boring it's like comparatively (laughs) boring and Mm -hmm. mundane because like the other night i was feeling it where i guess it wasn't the other night it might have been like two weeks ago but I, I talked about it on the podcast, but I was just really anxious and we were in bed and I think I was just stressed about the move because things were, not, the plans weren't as concrete yet. Mm-hmm. And I was just feeling anxious and we we both kind of just sat up and Sarah just like asked me what was wrong and like rubbed my back and I <laughs> felt better and went to sleep. Yeah. I'm like, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, like anxiety is anxiety, right? Right. But it's just funny kind of comparing our two brains in that way yeah i mean that's the thing is that yes i am the one who deals with more of the mental illness in this relationship but also there's things that stress eric out that don't stress me out at all so if he's having a freak out and i can just plainly say like i promise you there's nothing to worry about here Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah you can kind of pep talk me and it works well see that's the weird thing about me is like i'm very bad at getting well actually i don't know i According to you, I guess I do get myself out of the hole, but um, but it's in it's like a extended, drawn out process with which that's more in depth. Yeah, but I, when other people that I care about and I'm close with are going through their own little crises, like I I like snap into this other personality, mm-hmm. and I'm I think I am pretty good at kind of asking the right questions or oh yeah helping people access a calmer space. But I think again, like it's that. It's that like hidden, ble- hidden Valley Ranch. It's that hidden blessing of <laughs> having dealt with this. It's like I, I've read all the books. I've done all the therapy. Like I know, like I have like this little toolbox of things that you can try to feel a little bit better or to climb up the emotional scale. So that's why Fraser and Niles aren't great people because <laughs> they can they can help their patients with the knowledge they have right. about psychology. Yeah. Um and psychiatry yeah but they can't necessarily mm-hmm. exhibit it themselves perfectly all the time yeah in case you're not familiar with fraser all the humor is based on the fact that they're two psychologists <laughs> and they're both terrible people that's where yeah. all the humor comes from yeah i mean it's like someone described him as like lovably Pompous. terrible like uh, love like yeah. a bad person but in a lovable way yeah i'm like yeah i get it i mean if he was a morally if he was like a if he was a perfect person there would be no show mm-hmm. so it's like yeah it's right. not exactly believable to me but i get it yeah so yeah do you want to wrap up the conversation I, well i mean do you want to 
we just did wrap it up. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? I mean, I guess to leave like a little happy bow on this, I do feel much better after this conversation. I've been having a very, very bad week because of mostly work. (laughs) If you're a regular follower, you'll know about my relationship with my work. But I mean, to bring it back to the beginning where I was talking about like my uh, positivity slash negativity box being these dark documentaries about musicians i just feel so motivated as soon as we move and we have more space for us both to be creative i'm like oh this is like finally that time where i step into my destiny do you know what i mean like i'm I'm fine I, i feel like i know why not that there aren't like musicians and artists who are like positive and haven't dealt with mental health issues but i feel like a lot of the ones who are like legendary dealt with some dark shit you know and i think it's because that feeling of isolation it like kind of forces you to try to make sense of things and to feel and to understand yourself and you do that through writing or whatever your artistic medium is and so i'm like oh like maybe all of the stuff that is floating around in my head making me just feel mentally ill my entire life like maybe the best way for me to like make sense of it is to stop waiting for other people to fix me mm-hmm. or for like other people to understand me and to just like understand myself and to turn it into something pretty you know yeah and um to get it out there in front of people who it will help make feel better too you mm-hmm. know yep so yeah i'm excited for it i'm excited to be a part of it um so we didn't do our supporter shout out we can do it now. So I'm going to just kind of uh, tack it on at the end. Mm. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, great. I kept I kept no- wondering if I should like pause, but I'm like, it was, I don't like had doing, the momentum. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just feels wrong to take a break and do it because we kind of, like you said, we lose the momentum. Yeah. But all right. Shall I, shall I close it up? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening slash slash. Oh God, I messed up. Slash watching <laughs> on YouTube if you're a viewer um, and we will hopefully talk to you next week oh yeah leave any questions down below if you're viewing it mm-hmm. you might want to want us to address in like an, an, another episode yeah and send somewhere. us your experiences if you feel comfortable talking about it mm-hmm. and uh we'll talk to you when we talk to you bye bye now here's our supporter shout out hi guys we're pausing this conversation for a few moments to give a big thank you to our supporters These are our listeners who make a monthly contribution through Anchor, which is our hosting platform. If you'd like to become a supporter as well, you can visit anchor.fm slash whatislifedude and click on the support button. And if you enjoy the show, another great way to support us is by giving us a positive rating and a review on iTunes. Just takes a few moments and it helps new listeners find the podcast so we can continue to grow our community. So thank you so much to everyone who supports us in one way or another. This podcast wouldn't exist without you guys. So without further ado, shout out to our anchor supporters, Inga Pfeiffer, Morgan Lassiter, Jennifer, Scotty Draper, Glenn Ames, Kevin Dooley, Jessica Chelgren, Marie Zimmerman, Nina Schmidt, Izzy, Alexis Dooley, Annalise, Nadia, Teresa Madara, Kelsey Pritchett, Ellis Adler, Anna Dureka, Megan Stewart, Samantha McIntyre, Dylan Schaubin, and Sarah Creighton.